Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on keto dietary restrictions and how to communicate them, thanking folks when travel makes it hard, declining a boss's casual lunch invite, and a wedding guest who is frustrated by a bride's response, and how to not be an answering service for your spouse. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on etiquette for social dances of all kinds. Coming up. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Oh my goodness, big day. Big day. (laughs) Big day. We have our annual meeting today. Yes, we do. Our our annual Emily Post meeting where we gather from all corners of the earth the posts to send. Actually, we're doing it like all via Zoom meeting, but that's okay. (laughs) Once upon a time, this did happen in a room with a great big U-shaped table and we all sat around. Yeah, usually in the summertime. Yeah, it was. And, And any family was always invited. For the past few years, we've kept it more to kind of like our board and the the team at the office. So Dan and I have just been preparing for that, (laughs) which is always an adventure. But it's funny how much during our preparations, we've stopped to think about how gosh darn lucky we are to be in the family business we are in with the family that we're in it with. I find myself often leaving the office (laughs) um, and thinking, boy, I'm really glad Dan and I work together. Like, I am glad for us as the team (laughs) doing this. I think we have a really good working relationship. And when it comes to presenting that to our broader family, I actually feel really confident about it because we talk a lot about the work we do. We talk a lot about, frankly, our our relationship and we enjoy working together. And I, I was talking with Pooja about sharing that with the the larger family who are connected with this business. And she was saying, in some ways, it's easy because those people love and support you. And in yeah. some ways, it's hard because you care so much about them. You really want to do a good job and you want to not take advantage of the fact that they love and support you. <laughs> and it really is part of being in family business, that there are a lot of dynamics at play, both in the family relationships and the business relationships. And I'm also thinking about this because we got a call from kind of a distant cousin about coming and talking to a family business group. And when I first started working at Emily Post, I took some classes on family business, participated in some forums and some clubs. And now, almost 10 years later, I find myself being invited to come back and talk to similar groups. And it has me reflecting on a lot of that material that I was initially introduced to when I first started to investigate and research this kind of business. Mm -hmm. And it's just got the wheels turning. Is this happening in parallel <laughs> to like preparing it's all for the family together, business like meeting? The universe is like giving you phone calls and opportunities to speak on things we're actually doing right now. Yeah, <laughs> I do. And we, we also talked long ago as we were starting this podcast about wanting to pull the curtain back just a little bit <laughs> on the Emily Post Institute yeah. and share with a larger audience what it is we do. And this is definitely a big part of what we do. So to pull that curtain back, this meeting is actually really a, a kind of a big one because we. We've really changed things in the past uh, six months. Dan and I have uh, been working full throttle, and we've really made some decisions about the company that we've worked for for the past 10 years and where we want it to go and what it's going to look like in the formation that it is now. And this year, that's really different from years past. I'm writing two books this year, which is like just not normal for us. (laughs) I'm really excited to tell you about those projects once I 
can. Right now, I still have to keep them under wraps a bit. But we are really excited. Dan has completely revamped our online train the trainer or our train the trainer program to being an online accessible program. And that's really changed how we want to do our in-person programs a bit. It's changed uh, our focus on how to deliver, how to connect, ways we can participate with you, our audience, and those of you that want to become etiquette experts and trainers in your own lives. And then on top of that, you're about to embark, Dan, as we mentioned last week, off to the Pacific Northwest to like start a whole new project for us um, that we're hoping is really going to be able to deliver our seminars to individuals finally, which is something we've been longing to do. We're doing a major content shift. We're moving a lot of material that we've presented in person and other formats online. Yes. And we know this is the challenge of our generation in this business (laughs) to survive the, the digital shift. And it's remarkable to me that this coincides with book projects. Oh, I know. Books really still are the backbone of what we do at the Emily Post Institute, yeah. but it's it's really becoming more than that also. But it's also the premium on the in-person contact yep. that's also still a big part of what we do, that you and I being available as presenters and traveling and talking about etiquette and civility in America continues to be a, a, a whole other sort of silo in the work that happens at Emily Post. It's definitely exciting. It's transitional. It's traditional. There's a lot to talk about. Can you just hear in our voices that we are the fifth generation about to present basically a very different business to the fourth generation who handed this thing off to us? Like We're going to do that in a few hours today, and I'm excited for us. I think our family's going to be proud of what we're up to. I think so, too. And they've been along for the ride. Yeah, it's not like any surprises are going to happen here. But. And for everyone out there listening... The podcast will continue to happen. Yes. That is in the plan for the next year. So stay <laughs> we love tuned. This show. And now you probably would love it if we got to some questions. <laughs> we should get to some etiquette questions. I think so. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Keto Conference Conundrum. Dan and Lizzie, I want to thank you for all your etiquette advice here and in your books. I have finally found an opportunity to reach out with a personal etiquette question I cannot decide how to approach. I eat keto, which is a high-fat, low-carb, and sugar diet. I have done it for quite some time now and consider it a lifestyle at this point. 
About twice a month, I am hosted at conferences or events where food is provided. When they ask for any special diet considerations, I let them know that I am keto, that I need food with limited carbs, and provide a few examples of foods that I can eat. I am fairly flexible and will do easy tricks to make my meals edible, like removing the bread on sandwiches or subbing vegetables for rice. What I've been finding lately is because a diet preference is not on the same level as being a vegetarian or a medical condition like gluten intolerance, I am expected to just cheat my diet for this meal. However, after eating food I don't typically eat, I become very tired, lethargic, and will feel ill the rest of the evening. With conferences serving a lot of pasta, rice, and breaded options to cut costs, it is harder and harder for me to actually have a meal. My question for you is this. Where is the line between choosing to not eat or missing a meal and attempting to find an alternative on my own if time allows or bringing it to the attention of someone to see if an alternative option that wasn't served to the rest of the guests may be available? The discomfort and drowsiness I often feel after eating outside of my diet make it difficult for me to be productive and engaged, but at the same time, I hate to be an inconvenience for something that poses no actual medical harm to me if I eat it, like those with a gluten intolerance. I appreciate any suggestions you can give or suggestions on how else I can present this diet restriction so it is more clear on what I can and cannot eat. Thank you, Keto Conference Conundrum. Keto, I feel like that... This is a lifestyle choice, and it it affects you if you eat foods outside the keto diet. And so I would encourage you to feel very confident asking for a dish that meets your needs. And I think you're being really smart when you tell people what you can eat rather than what you can't eat. Because telling someone, you know, a plate of mixed vegetables with, you know, like just a little olive oil and, and lemon on them would be perfect or whatever it is that works. And whatever you do need to specify, if you need something about that dressing to not have sugar in it, or if you need something about, you know, the no rice, like it's it's okay to get specific, but often either having a little card that you can present to someone. I've heard chefs really appreciate that because then they have it in front of them. They know exactly what to work with. There's no miscommunication from the messenger, but or just speaking up and being able to say, you know, a dish of just mixed vegetables and this would be great is an easy way for you to communicate your needs and get what you need or at least get an answer to whether they can provide it or not. I don't know what type of conference situation you're in. Dan sometimes is at a conference as a speaker. And so he's being hosted by someone and they're asking him very specifically, what is a dish that's going to meet your needs? You're going to be up there talking for, you know, two hours, eight hours, one hour, whatever it is. And it's it's important that you feel fed. It's really okay to get specific in those situations where it's the bigger, you're a participant mingling. Uh, maybe you're not even a vendor at the conference, but you're you're just a a patron of the conference, an attendee of the conference, excuse me, then you might choose to bring something that works for you if you're allowed to. Or like, you do, like you've like you been doing, you might choose to just pick through what you, you can get through. And I understand it's hard with all the carb options, but uh, usually there's some salad or something. There's a, you know, often a piece of protein somewhere. I like both of those approaches. <laughs> I, I like the way you're, you're focusing on the positive. These are the things I can do. Mm-hmm. Veggies, meats, beans, if that's Part of it, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. And you can put the restrictions in, and you're reminding me that there often are sugars and dressings and yeah. some of those sauces yeah. that come with those other things. So having those restrictions also there, but definitely letting people know what does work for you, I think, is key to towards go. really helping your host out. I like your idea of covering your bottom line, bringing a little something with you if you can. And you shouldn't be responsible for doing this all the time. But if you're talking about food, if you're talking about what you need to live and survive. I was going to say, I think you actually are kind of responsible to make sure you're fed. Like at the end of the day, at the end of the day. And it sounds like keto does that or at least is thinking in that vein. Yep. Yeah. From an etiquette perspective, I also want to say you're not responsible for explaining to everybody all of the implications of your dietary choices, that you call this a lifestyle. But I think that you're also honest with yourself and with others as you think about how as you get used to a diet, it becomes a health question also, that if you deviate from this diet, it does have physical effects on you that are going to impact the way you're able to do the things that you're at the conference to do. So. While I think that you're also being very honest, not presenting this as a food allergy or mm-hmm. an actual gluten intolerance, that I think that you can also think about it in your own mind as important to your health 
and when you present it as a dietary restriction, I think that's the good language, you're going to be in really good shape. Avoid the, the, the keto language if it's not familiar to people. If you're not having an opportunity to explain and develop what that is just because it's not as widely known, it might be confusing. Stick with that dietary restrictions language and you're going to be in good shape. Keto conference conundrum. We really hope this helps, and I also hope that maybe our paths cross out there on the conference circuit someday. There's something we all enjoy about staying for dinner. Have you ever thought why? It's because eating with others is fun. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our next question is titled Gift Text Pause for Trip. Thank you to... Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've got two thank you card questions that I'm hoping are relatively quick and easy. Both have arisen following the holidays where thank you cards are in order. Number one, I received a gift from my aunt but was not able to open it until January 8th after I returned from holiday. I sent her a thank you card immediately, but should I also send her a text or email, how we usually communicate, saying I opened her gift? Number two, I received another gift by post from my boyfriend's parents. I opened it on Christmas Day and immediately sent an iMessage to them to say thanks. We usually communicate over text. I'm 22. Sorry. I should, you don't have to apologize for that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, should I still send them a thank you card? I didn't send one the day after because on the 26th of December, I left for a backpacking trip for a week and a half. I also sent their family a Christmas card. So I'm wondering if two cards in one month is a little weird. Thank you, Mercedes. <laughs> Mercedes, thank you for this delightful question. And I will mirror my cousin's surprise. I don't think you need to to, to oh. feel awkward about sending a, a quick thank you text. Yeah. I think that is... Or apologizing for being 22. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, everybody texts now. Don't worry. Like... <laughs> They do, for the most part. Yeah. I also want to congratulate you for making the effort, sending holiday cards, for keeping those traditions alive as well. To me, it sounds like you are in really good etiquette shape here. I wrote, you rock, in the, in the show notes. I was like, this person's got it down. They're thinking. <laughs> and you're thinking about a follow-up thank you note. A direct answer to your question, no, I don't think it's weird to have multiple cards arrive within a month. And particularly if a, one was a anticipatory holiday card, another was a thank you for a yeah. gift or some something that someone did for you it's totally fine in fact it might really knock someone over (laughs) now i also appreciate not wanting to come across as too much and i think having some self-awareness is a important part of good etiquette i don't think you're in that territory here i also am just hearing my grandfather's voice the best is the enemy of the good Mm -hmm. just because that card didn't get out in the time frame that you would usually anticipate getting it out, it's never too late. You can always touch someone with that second thanks, and it will still have an effect. I think we're really starting to find this nice balance between our awkward schedules in life and using digital communications and electronic communications to just get someone a response quickly and then following up with that more formal thank you that that really takes the time and effort that shows, you know, hey, I really appreciated what you did for me. Thank you. I don't have a problem <laughs> with that. I think that that is a good use of technology. In fact, I just had an experience like this with someone who was offering me thanks for something I had done. And they had thanked me immediately when this favor had occurred. Mm-hmm. But then they had left the country. And the next I exactly heard from the them situation. was a couple of weeks later when they returned. And I thought to myself, oh, it's so nice to hear from this person. They're back. <laughs> and I will be reaching back out to them in the next day or two because it provided an opportunity for us to continue that relationship that I really appreciated. Mercedes, we hope that you can feel confident now that you're back from all your travels in sending those thank you notes and continuing your awesome etiquette. How does that sound? Gee, that sounds good. We'll take you up on it, Mrs. Ames. Thanks. Our next question is a true business social question. Sorry, boss. I got plans. Hello. On occasion, my boss will invite the entire office to lunch. He doesn't plan them formally, but will ask us as an office to all go every so often. One time when that happened, I already had plans to go to lunch with a friend. 
Both of us were in a wedding that weekend, and we needed to talk about the wedding over lunch, and I couldn't reschedule last minute. Was it okay for me to turn down my boss for lunch? I explained that I was meeting a friend to talk about a wedding I was in that weekend. Was it necessary to even give an explanation why I couldn't go? I have a great job and, of course, wouldn't want to offend my boss. But I had to make some sacrifices to accomplish everything I needed to. Thanks. Malia. It is totally fine to decline because you had other plans. And given the nature of these other plans, the fact that they were time-specific and about someone else's event that you were trying to help with and be supportive at, I think it's really important that you kept those plans and it was okay. This boss, you know... obviously is doing this last minute. Um, he or she should not be expecting that everyone can drop everything to, to attend this. But what I will say is some advice that my sister Anna Post gave me when I got one of my first jobs. And she said, if your coworkers ask you to go out, go out with them. Like go grab a lunch, go grab a coffee, you know, do what, go for that little walk if they need a five minute break or something like that. Like whatever it is, if you're being invited, try to say yes so that you can establish those relationships. You won't be able to say yes every single time, but I think it helps build that camaraderie at work. And it, it, your boss is kind of reaching out with a kind gesture. And when you are able to say yes, say yes. Don't feel bad when you can't say, I would love to go. Thank you so much for offering. I really appreciate it. However, I have plans that I can't break today. And that's it. You don't have to go into why. You don't have to go into how you really like, oh, my gosh, I just can't believe I have to miss out on this. No, a little too far. I can so hear your sister giving you that advice. You? <laughs> I, I, I can. I'm also thinking that because this is so informal, because these aren't yeah. planned, it makes it very easy. In fact, there's a, a certain etiquette principle that you stick with plans you've made and that, you know, you can shift the plan if something else happens. But generally speaking, you try to make those commitments and then meet them. I'm thinking about magic words. Mm. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yep. I can't go today. Just that, that initial thank you is enough. I like what you did here in our script notes uh, where context. you sort of tiered with, with different amounts of context because you've really got a lot of options here because you're pretty you're in pretty good shape no matter what you choose to do. So you've got some choices. Yeah. So you could do no context where you where you just simply say, I can't, but thank you for offering. That's it. You could do uh, some context. Oh, crud. I've got a lunch date with a friend that I cannot reschedule, but thank you so much for the offer. And then we had more context was, oh, crud, I'm meeting a friend to go over details for a wedding we're in this weekend. Thank you, though. And then we went to too much context, which was, oh, my gosh, I really, really want to. You're such an amazing boss. But I'm in this wedding and it's been so complicated. And my friend who I'm meeting isn't the easiest to get a hold of because her dog, who is super cute but super old, is now sick with a disease that they can't identify. And so we're trying to figure out how she can get care for the dog while participating in the wedding. Otherwise, I totally would come to lunch. Like, that's just too much context. You cracked me up when I read this. Thank you for sharing. This is what happens when I write scripts really late at night. I'm just, like, trying to get it done. But it's it's also there's something really intelligent about having a whole set of tiered responses. I feel like well, the, thank you. <laughs> more and more often the advice that we're giving is, well, you can escalate like this. Yeah. And I think this is a really nice progression through that escalation. <laughs> And a long example of what not to do. <laughs> also good to know the bad choice. It can help you avoid it. Because I'm feeling really supported. I'm just saying. We're going to go to that board meeting. I feel really supported by you, my co-president. Great. <laughs> Malia, we hope that this answers your question and that you feel really – I keep telling everyone to feel confident. But we hope you feel confident too when it comes time to say yes or no to the next lunch invite from your boss. I'm awfully sorry, but I have a date for tonight, Jerry. Tomorrow? No, I'm sorry. Well, call me early next week, Jerry. Okay, Carolyn. Our next question begins, give me options or give me death. It's like, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Did you get it? I get it. Okay, good. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am a longtime post-institute devotee. It was an amazing resource when planning my wedding. Oh, I'm so glad. And I love your podcast. I love hearing how etiquette adapts as we evolve in society. I have a longtime friend who is getting married in a month. We do not have any mutual friends and live in different cities. I was delighted when I heard about an engagement and excited when I received an email save the date to a wedding in a remote country. The wedding website has not been updated since this initial 
email, and we have not received any communication since this first email. The wedding is weeks away now. I know we will not attend, but we will still send a gift. Their website has a registry space, but it only says more coming soon. Wanting to send a gift prior to the wedding, I finally asked my friend where their registry was located, and the response of no registry, we just want cash, has me feeling all sweaty and nervous. I don't like cash gifts for a variety of reasons and really like to avoid giving them. Am I a terrible friend to send a very nice gift instead of cash? Thanks for any advice you might be able to provide. Sincerely, old school etiquette follower trying to adapt to a new school world. That's a long title. <laughs> I've got to confess, I just cringe as I read this. Why? It, it makes me recoil a little bit, and, and it's not because of I was our question say. <laughs> uh, asker, but because of the, the host for this wedding. I and know. the thought that makes me pull back is the feeling of procrastination. This idea that you've put out that you're having a wedding, that there's more to come, and then you're just not providing it, and that it's weeks away now, and there hasn't been any follow-up information. And there, there's a side of me that wants to start crafting all these stories. Weddings are hard to plan. It's yeah. difficult. And like they're probably right on the edge of being able to get all this done out to their guests. And when it's like weeks away and they didn't receive uh, an invitation. That's just strange because, you know, if you receive a save the date, you get an invitation to the wedding. The only thing I don't know is did our question asker at any point after receiving the save the date mention that they couldn't attend? That would be the only reason why I would think that, like, they didn't receive uh, an invitation because that can happen. When you when someone lets you know ahead of time, you usually send them one as kind of an honorary, you know, and you're expecting them to send their regrets. But the thing that's really concerning to me is that the wedding website has no information on it. That, like, that level of not taking care of your guests and communicating with them has been hit. And then when the reach out does come, it's no explanation about why none of this is working or or up. It's just send me cash. And we're also talking what? about destination wedding. There's so much going yeah. on here that is is really sort of picture perfect bad. Yeah. We often find ourselves saying, oh, good etiquette gold star for this <laughs> question. <laughs> there is definitely some etiquette. Our question asker is dealing with some bad etiquette here for Problems, sure. Yeah. No question. So what do you do? I know, right? How do you reply? Okay. The first thing is that no, you are not a terrible friend or person for wanting to send a very nice gift instead of cash. Agreed. You absolutely may. You might do meter halfway and maybe do a gift card to a specific store or something like that. But that way she's getting kind of the flexibility of the cash, but you're getting the knowledge of an actual, um, you can at least pick Picture the place she's going to go and get this gift from. I mean, that would that would be my like meet them halfway type thing. But you are well within your right to just simply send a lovely gift. I think that's the easy answer for our question asker. And if they don't give you any suggestions, go with something classic. I mean, I know every every week I mention this, but it's like the engraved picture frame or the vase or the special interest gift. Like it's really okay. To think about them, think about just something nice for the home, put their wedding date on it, and you're good to go. The gorgeous handmade things from that local provider who you love to support. There are That's a good idea, too. Lots of good options. Again, for our question, ask her. I, I almost want to do the list of ways these problems could have been avoided, but that list is so long that yeah. you have to follow up with invitations, keep your wedding website updated, be extra attentive to destination wedding guests. If you do want cash gifts, put together some sort of honeymoon fund or okay. something that helps people break down and identify where cash gifts might be applied. If anybody wondered that like Dan takes care of the business advice and I take care of the wedding advice, my cousin basically just rattled off everything that you need to do as a couple getting married. You got this down, cuz. I mean, you have done it, but... <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the Emily Post book was an amazing resource for me when I was planning my wedding. And I think the reason I cringed when I read this yeah. is I, I saw a lot of the mistakes that are easy to make, yeah. that you, you can have the best of intentions. You can be trying to do it well. It can be almost incapacitating. It's a big job to plan a wedding. I, I These are things to put in your brain when you're dealing with a couple that's not communicating well to you. I find myself sympathizing with these other people who are not doing this well. Yeah. And I, I guess sort of a good place to leave this question might be to try to keep those generous thoughts in mind. 
mind as you deal with this person. The, I this like is how not you intentional. changed from being like kind of shocked by this to now putting the etiquette hat on and being generous about, hey, this isn't an easy thing. Not everyone is going to get it right. And now we're also still supporting our question asker by saying, yes, of course, you can still send the gift that you want to send. That is true no matter the situation, whether the bride and groom have behaved impeccably and are still just asking for cash. Or excuse me, the happy couple has behaved impeccably and we're still just asking for cash. It's still your right as the guest to to really choose and feel confident about the gift that you're giving. Old school etiquette follower trying to adapt to a new school world, you are not alone. And there are certain elements of weddings that I think will remain the same for a long time to come. And I don't think you are out of place figuring out where you fit in these new traditions. Our next question comes from Emily, and it came in on our voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hello, my name is Emily. I am calling with a question about people texting or calling me, well, actually texting me, when they need to actually reach my husband. So at my church, we have a directory for all of the adult members of the congregation, and in the directory, it lists the household number and then each adult's personal number. We don't have a landline, so I just put my own cell phone number as the household number. And because of that, sometimes, well, often people will text me and they mean to talk with my husband. So I've done two different options. Sometimes I just tell my husband, oh, this person texted me. You need to text them back. Sometimes I will reply to the text and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I think you meant to send this to my husband. This is his number, and I include it in the text message. But I'm wondering which way is correct, because I always feel a little bit bad telling them they made a mistake, but then maybe I'm going behind their back by just telling my husband. I don't know what's the best option. Thanks so much. Bye. I think it's really smart that Emily is thinking about a way to be generous in her communication and honest and considerate with her communication in this because the kind of nexus of this problem, the start of this problem is happening because in the phone directory, her personal cell phone is listed as the contact for, for this household. And I think that's where our problem begins. I would definitely get both numbers listed and just people can pick which they want to go to. I think the better reply rather than saying, oops, I think you meant this for my husband, because there's no way they could have known to reach out to him or and I don't know how it's listed, whether it's clear that this is just her cell phone or whether people think they're texting the household, which is a little strange, too. So I'm not sure what the assumption is, but I think the language you would want to use to let someone know would be this is Emily here. I think this might be a better question for my husband. May I forward it on to him or may I connect the two of you? And then you're asking permission to send that message on. You're suggesting that this is a better person to direct it to, but you're not kind of calling them out on a mistake they didn't know they were making. You know what I mean? I was really thinking, is there a technology answer, can you just forward the text to your husband? That that might be the simplest, easiest thing. Because like you, I wasn't wanting to call out the person. Yeah. But I appreciate where you're coming from when you're asking the question of before I send someone's message on, I want to be sure that that's okay with them. And and that might depend a little bit on the nature of the message. I think in different situations, different circumstances, you might choose one or the other. You might want someone to know that it was going to be another relay (laughs) before it gets to the intended recipient. It might be a quick, simple thing where you can just do it. I definitely think that it's it's considerate to let them know you're going to pass their message on to someone else. More considerate to ask them first if you can pass the message on. But I think the thing that would feel strange, and it's this is like, we're talking about tiny etiquette infractions here, like super forgivable, really easy to overlook. But the thing that might feel strange is if... Someone texts Emily to ask a question and a different phone number responds with an answer to it because her husband, the pastor, is responding. And so that's one where if that is the case, if that's how it happens, I would suggest your husband use language that says, hi, you sent your text message and it got to my wife and she uh, really thought that this was probably something I should handle. And so she passed it on to me, like just a little explanation about why this phone number is now responding to this query. I think that is likely to result in people sending future texts yes. to the correct number to keep parsing this down even finer. Do it. If that directory is out there, it's a 
printed copy that sits on someone's <laughs> counter. And even after they've gone through a cycle of reaching out to you to reach out to your husband and then he replies to them, they still go and look at that directory and send messages to you. And this keeps happening. Um, I think that after repeated errors like this, I think you can respond to that person and like, say, oh, here, <laughs> this is the number that's great for reaching my husband directly. Perfect. But I would wait for that to happen a few times. I would wait to really start to feel burdened and and put upon by the volume of those calls <laughs> before I did that. Dan would wait that long. I would go with approach number two. I'd nip it in the bud. I would just be like, all right, we're, like the second time that this happens, once you've been instructed to use the husband's phone number instead, I would I would straight up say, oh, please feel free to reach out to my husband directly for that. And then, and then just put the number in. And that can be your go-to response every time that comes in. <laughs> We're parsing, parsing, parsing. <laughs> Text exchanges oftentimes happen very quickly. They're pretty informal and yeah. people should pick up pretty quickly the new number that's being looped in to these conversations. Yeah. Emily, my final piece of advice is to smile and proceed with patience. We hope this helps until you get your number changed in the directory. <laughs> Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or send us a text message to 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback today is in reference to Lemon Hater, that wonderful question about how to not end up with lemon in your water. And we had this response from a tea drinker. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for the podcast. I listen every week and can't wait for the next one. I've been meaning to write for weeks about the lemon water episode. Dan asked whether or not mentioning the lemon would change anything and suggested an experiment. I did a very similar experiment a few years ago. I used to order my hot tea, no cream, no sugar. And about one half to three quarters of the time, I would have cream, sugar, or both. I would then have to ask for it to be fixed. I have since started saying, hot tea black, please, or simply hot tea, please. Oftentimes, I am asked whether I want sugar or sugar and cream, depending on my sentence, to which I reply, no thank you. I think Dan was absolutely right. By the waitstaff asking me, they are listening to the answer instead of simply hearing cream and sugar. Thank you for the podcast, Rebecca. I love it. I love hearing about the results to the experiment. <laughs> right? Someone who had done this. Our next piece of feedback comes from Bridesmaid from Afar. And this is Jessica. And her issue that she had written in about was that she was having trouble finding a way to ask a bride whether she could get together with other folks while she was in town for the wedding. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. It's a bit late, but I wanted to follow up with you regarding your advice for my visit to Arkansas for a friend's wedding last July when I wasn't sure of how to navigate seeing other friends while in town. Your advice was so helpful. I wanted to share with you how it all worked out. A few months before my visit, I asked to talk to the bride when she had the time and told her that I was creating an itinerary for my week-long visit. I explained that if she was comfortable with it, I would like to arrange to see a few friends for dinner or drinks, but that her needs were my top priority for the trip and I wanted to be available for anything she needed. After she graciously agreed that she was comfortable with me slipping out to meet some friends, I asked her what days and times she expected to need me and planned that time plus a little more to be there for her. I could tell that she was so thankful that I considered her first and even went as far as letting me borrow her car the entire week. I organized two separate meetups with friends and was so happy that I got to catch up after a year of not seeing anyone and not feeling guilty for being gone. On top of that, the bride was relieved not to have to entertain me the entire trip as I was staying in her home and she was busy doing things with other members of the bridal party and her fiancé. I truly feel like it all worked out beautifully, all thanks to communicating our expectations and a good old trusty itinerary. And of course, your advice. It was really a fantastic visit, and I had so much fun spending my free time at her home, sneakily doing her dishes or cleaning the house for her while she was out. Thank you so much for your advice. It made such a difference. I appreciate you both. Bridesmaid from afar, Jessica. Bridesmaids, we appreciate you, and it sounds like the bride probably appreciated you. It sounds like a lovely week and a great wedding. Thank you for the follow-up. It's good to hear everything went well. 
And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also text us at that number. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is about dance and is a continuation of a theme that's been developing on this show for a couple weeks now. We started with a Postscript a couple weeks ago talking about balls and we were introduced to balls delightfully by Emily in her book, <laughs> How to Behave Though a Debutante. And this inspired Lizzie Bose to look to our book to find some current advice dance about etiquette. dance etiquette. and. <laughs> As we're reading through the 19th and thinking about dance, I couldn't sit at the mic and not think about what a big part of my life dance has been in all different kinds of forms. And that here we were sort of descending down a scale of formality. We were talking about balls, the most elegant situations. And then we started talking about contemporary balls, which oftentimes tend to be a little less formal than those affairs that we picture from the turn of the century, that Edith Wharton age of innocence era that Emily operated in. And I spent my 20s working for a contemporary dance company, working in the performing arts. And I was – I did my ballet classes. I did my modern classes. But I also was a big participant in the contact improvisation community. And for anybody looking for a fun YouTube uh, exploration of dance to get into a little bit, there is a sub-community within the contemporary dance world that is contact improvisation. It's a partner dance. It's social dance that happens with almost zero – official rules, but there's a whole social code to how people do it. And it got me thinking about how every dance community has its own rules, its own expectations, its own etiquette and courtesy. Yeah, but it also got you thinking about something else. You met Pooja at a contact jam. I absolutely did. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's such like an intimate form of dance. It's just awesome that that's where your life now and marriage started. And our our relationship grew and developed in different areas after that, but definitely our first point of (laughs) contact and the place that Pooja will tell you I made a strong first impression (laughs) was at a dance. And I thought we would today review some broader etiquette that I think function across different dance communities, from the most formal to the most informal, casual, from the most specific to the most general. I'm thinking if you go to a concert, if you go to a wedding, or if you decide you want to take a plunge and find a contact jam in your local community. (laughs) I'm dying for you to get to this list because the very first bullet point is keep it clean, dress well, good hygiene. I love that. that, I was like, okay, we're starting with the good stuff. The basics. Yes, the basics. Show up ready to be a good partner. And one of the first ways to be a really good partner is to not have bad breath and to take care of yourself in a way that someone is comfortable being a little closer to you than they might be in a a usual public space. And it's not necessarily a feature of every dance that you get close to people, but oftentimes you're in closer proximity. So a certain consideration for others is that you show up with good hygiene and that you also check that hygiene throughout the course of an evening. If you're dancing hard and this happens in a foxtrot as well as a contact improv, sometimes a change of shirt halfway through the night or just an awareness that this is physical activity is part of the courtesy that's involved. Can I add one to this? Because it's one that people don't always think of, but it's really be aware of the products and scents that you use, the perfumes or the colognes or the body sprays, because as your body moves, as you perspire, that smell will intensify and it will mix with your body odor as you perspire. So you can get some really funky, different and strong smells going on. And when you're letting someone roll over your back or under your side and around, I mean, you're really on this other person's body. And it's just, it's worth mentioning that the cover-up sprays are not always the way to go for this situation. And my last clean tip is keep food off the dance floor. Good idea. (laughs) And and I know you're going to take a drink with you back to your standing spot at a concert or a club, but the number of times that things begin to go badly when a drink is spilled or when food is managed badly, be careful if you're in an environment where that's happening. And if that's not happening, don't be the one to introduce that other element. Let's talk about how dances begin, asking and answering. This is gender-neutral territory now. Anyone can ask anyone to dance. There is a courtesy to not just dancing with the person that brought you. Dance with the person that brought you, but Mm -hmm. you circulate. And we heard about this in the really formal 
situations, yeah. but it works really well in less formal and more social situations. This is an opportunity to interact and engage with different people. So take a chance. Ask someone new. Say yes when someone mm-hmm. asks you. You don't have to say yes. There used to be a really strong formal courtesy that you only decline dances for very particular reasons. You were already promised that particular dance or you were leaving. Um, but today you make an effort to say yes, but you get to say no. If there's any reason that you don't feel comfortable or don't want to dance with someone, that is also your prerogative. Good partners are hard to find. The mark of a really good dancer is that they can dance with anyone, that you want to be aware of your level. You want to know where you're at, how you're participating, whatever community it is. And that self-awareness will help you participate well. But a really good advanced dancer doesn't need to teach or instruct a beginner to be a good partner. And a beginner doesn't need to be trying to turn a social function or interaction into an opportunity to learn and get instruction. There are oftentimes opportunities to learn how to dance. And if you are participating anywhere and you want to learn more, there are always learning environments where you can find out more and become a good student and improve your level and your skills. Usually the social dance isn't the place to do that. And there are great ways to participate, whatever your level is. And the advanced partners know how to do that. And for less advanced partners, take some risks, give it a try, but also be aware of where you're at and try to proceed accordingly. Well, basically, if so, if an advanced partner is is willing to turn it into a teaching lesson, great. But the novice shouldn't be asking for that from the advanced partner, or at least shouldn't be asking repeatedly about it. You might say, wait a second, what's that step you just did? And let me see that. And that's okay. But you think if someone was like, okay, can you watch my form and tell me if I'm out of line on the and did it, that starts to feel like, wait a minute, I'm just here to have fun. Exactly. Okay. We talk about consideration, respect, and honesty. Respect is so important in these environments. Dan, since we're talking about levels and partners, though, I've I've seen contact jams, and you've, like, explained contact jams to me. And it doesn't seem like the type of environment where you just walk across the floor to someone, hold out your hand, and ask if they'd like to dance with you. I mean, it's more of like a you look at someone and you you kind of like both internalize whether you're going to move towards each other and start literally getting your bodies to have contact points where you roll and move together. And that's like really different. How does this work? It's both very different and very similar. Okay. No matter what social dance you're at, they're very subtle cues that play into whether or not someone's interested in dancing with you. And you need to be a a student of human behavior. You need to be an intentional observer of others. Are they making eye contact with me? Do they seem open and receptive to a dance? And whether that's an approach and a clear and specific, I would so enjoy a dance. Would you please dance with me? Or right. if it's Does what that you describe, do people actually say, "Would you like to contact"? Okay. I mean, how does it work? Yeah. <laughs> but oftentimes, I think that the first interactions, no matter what the experience, aren't verbalized. And I think it's also true that you want to pick up on the the cues that are the nose. Mm-hmm. That if someone's not making eye contact with you, if they're not making themselves available to you, even just with their gaze. You don't want to pester someone. That if someone takes a short dance with you and then excuses themselves, that you don't pursue or follow them around the venue. This isn't your time to just be close. (laughs) It's really not. And because we are in physical proximity with each other, you really want to be respectful of people's boundaries, whatever the dance form is. I almost love the sense that the more and I don't want to say that contact jams are casual, but it's, it's it is a more casual environment from the formal balls that we describe, and yet I feel like because the intimacy is is stronger in these situations, you know, the proximity of the body, the use of the body rolling and moving on the other body, that it is a higher stakes ask almost. Like it's it's like you need more respect and consideration so that nothing gets confused. It's one of the things I really like about the community. Yeah. There are very firm standards about the way respect is shown. Fascinating. Can you tell me what floor craft is? Floor craft comes from the social dance world. And it's the idea that you're aware of the way people are moving around the space. Oh. Oftentimes they say that that dancers that are moving in more stationary patterns, slower patterns, take the middle of the floor. And people that are really traveling through space work in a, a circle around the outside. Interesting. And you want to know which of these groups you're in. You want to use the floor accordingly. You don't want to be walking across that outer ring where people are likely to be moving quickly. But it's true in any dance 
on any dance floor in any dance situation. My idea here is to be aware of the people around you, both be aware of your partner, but also of the space. Is it a crowded, packed environment? Is there lots of room to move? Obviously, you're not going to be doing lifts if you're (laughs) packed in shoulder to shoulder. My final piece of advice, and this is a long section, and I could go on and on and on about dance etiquette. And I could ask you question after question after question. (laughs) My parting advice is thank your partners and have fun. Participate, enjoy, take a chance, give it a try. I am so looking forward to being in my 50s and to going and joining the social dance world with Pooja Senning. We have never taken a a ballroom dance class together. Uh And I'm waiting for the day that we do it. And I know it's out there and it's just one of those stages in our life that I'm so looking forward to. And I want to encourage everyone to find a dance community and give it a try (laughs) because it's one of the great joys in life. I wish you all could just feel the energy coming off of Dan right now. He's like, his shoulders are tightened up and he's just ready to burst with excitement about this. It really is delightful because it's such a different part of your life. And I love it when we get to connect it to the show. Thank you so much for sharing all that today, Dan. It was truly my pleasure. Intermission over. The music begins and back to dancing. Well, for most couples anyway. But this is a good time to say that any girl stuck with a show-off instead of a dancer has social custom on her side if she wants to break it up. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's etiquette salute comes from Claire. Hello, awesome etiquette team. I have an etiquette salute for my good friends, Nina and Ryan. My group of friends recently held our first successful Friendsgiving. We are a large group, around 12 people, and entertaining space is hard to come by as we live in sunny San Diego, where apartments are often small. Nina and Ryan graciously offered to host the event and did a fantastic job. I was beyond impressed. They located party tables and chairs to comfortably accommodate every friend. They prepared a lovely seating arrangement and beautiful table display and seamlessly moved our group from indoor to outdoor entertaining. Another friend, Emily, kindly made personalized wine glasses for everyone. The glasses served two wonderful functions of ensuring no one lost their beverage and being an excellent party favor. We are a crew of mid-20 professionals, and it was a treat to pull off a fancier get-together. Nina and Ryan set the bar for being truly fantastic hosts, and they did it all with a smile. Very respectfully, Claire. Very respectfully, thank you for that etiquette salute. I love hearing about your Friendsgiving, Claire. So do I, because I think I've spent three Thanksgivings away from my family in my whole life, and one of them was in sunny San Diego, and it was a Friendsgiving. (laughs) Claire, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out by becoming a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. Find out more by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also support the show by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. Chris.